got capped and the name that makes it happen No further introduction to the man that's worth tracking City's clapping for his relentless backing A bestie against the former team that just went packing While they're slacking and other hosts are lacking He tells it like it is on issues that nobody's tackling While he's racking, the ones who keep on grappling The listeners, some followers who get it, keep on stacking Great friend and the type to set a trend Precedent to see where haters with the men, there's no pretend 17 years, he along with Pierce Entertaining Southern Cali back by popular demand Intense for the listeners to resonate To the hottest topics of the day, check the resume While some local leaders seem to lack the unity My man uses his voice to do what's best for the community Westwood one, catch him on the sidelines Reporting live, what we later see in highlights No holds barred, just like on his timeline Sun filter podcast, no need to follow guidelines Meet any criteria, dropping bombs like Syria Touching down, hollow around, connected like Expedia Coming to your speakers live from the city, yo Bestie, welcome to the Scott Kaplan Media Great friends, what is happening? Well, I am pretty excited about the last two weeks of the podcast And I hope you've, you've listened to this stuff because... What's happened for me is I'm learning so much along the way. Two weeks ago, Dave Vigil, the president of Pinarello USA, a close friend and a mentor to me, and the stories of of entry level at Qualcomm to being in control of your own life. I'm starting to think of these things now as chapters in books, as I may reference along the way with my next guest, Scott Duffy. I'll tell you about Scott Duffy in a second, but I was so impressed last week with Tyson McDowell, who I'm I just absolutely adore this guy. I think he's great. And I think he's super smart. And I, I just love the way he uses his time and, and has the freedom in his life. It's, or so it all seems, um, you know, you never know though, with people, I'm not trying to say anything about Tyson. I'm, I'm trying to say that people present a, a, a life mostly on social media now. And then who knows what, is really going on. And that, that was why I wanted to talk to Scott Duffy because Scott Duffy, I've known for a really, really long time, not well, but have known for a long time. Scott and I, we go back and I know we talk about this in the conversation, so I'll leave it, but we go way back into the mid to late nineties and a startup company that we were both involved with called Sportsline USA, which became CBS Sportsline and then became CBS Sports. And I had if I were to sit down and, and really tell you about where I was and who I was with, it's kind of a mind blow. That's one of the things that Scott's about to talk about is how he was around Richard Branson, a virgin, and how he was around Tony Robbins in the earliest days of Tony Robbins launching his brand, and how Scott has navigated his business life through lots of highs and lows that he talks about, and how now is a, a published author of two books and a brand new book called Breakthrough, how he uses media platforms to be an executive business coach, utilizing his skills, which again, he'll talk about because it's been kind of on my mind about business coaching. And, and I, I've recently started um, on LinkedIn a lot watching a guy named Gary V. So if you know who that is, if you don't, you might check him out and like him. Um, I find him to be fun and funny to watch and, and insightful and, and fearless. We wind up getting into this conversation about this guy, Gary V. Scott and I, because Scott's in that business. But it's kind of an interesting thing. Will you take business advice from someone who has a huge exit from a company 
Or would you take business advice from someone who has had tremendous lows throughout the periods of time and has to keep fighting and recreating? And so Scott's got an interesting and fresh perspective. And, and I know Scott well enough that I really wanted to bring him on this podcast because here's the thing. And I know we'll talk about it later. He and I go back to the earliest days of my the company that I'm working on, Cited. And he was there in the earliest of days when we were first meeting with the original founders of a company that preceded Cited. And so he was there to help navigate some early waters. And um, he didn't hang on with us the whole time, mostly really because of us and the directions we were going and the different people that were coming and going. I can get into it, but... I really wanted to bring Scott on because he was there to help me early on and what I've seen him go through in his own life. And again, we mention it, but both of us going through divorces at the same time and what we were talking about before we get on, because I reference this, we were talking about divorce and how hard it is and what was going on in his divorce, what was going on in my divorce. There were unfortunately a lot of similarities. And so I was taking some of his wisdom and the things that he'd already learned. So we were having a highly, highly intense conversation before we started and we just jump right in. So this is Scott Duffy, a guy I go way back with who has published two books. One is called Launch. This was four years ago. This is how to launch a business in 90 days or really more how to get a product to market in 90 days. And he's got a new book called Breakthrough and he'll talk about that later on and, and, and where he is uh, in social media and in the world where you can find him. Because I think you're going to find him really inspirational and, and very, very likable. And I'll tell you what our conversation was at the end of this. So we, we finish and we stop the recorder and he sticks around, Scott, in my house and asks me what I think of what he said. And I'll, I'll tell you about that on the other side. So before we get there, I'm learning so much about podcasting. In fact, I've been talking to a company. They're talking to me about how many downloads I get and could they place ads within. And of course, that's something I'm interested in. I know it kind of sucks for you because in the middle of a podcast, you might all of a sudden hear an ad. Not today, but in the future. But that's how we should be trying to make money um, in this world where everybody's kind of got one now. And so I just want everybody to know one thing, that last week I was driving home from Riverside Community College after watching my son play a college football game there, a JC football game, and I was driving home and I was listening to a podcast of a friend of mine named Mike Trevino who was being interviewed by an acquaintance of mine, a guy by the name of Dr. Peter, Peter Atia. And I was listening to this interview in the car, and I know these guys, but Mike I know well, and I was just fascinated to learn things about Mike that I didn't know. And that's the same thing that happens with Scott. I find out things about Scott coming up in this interview that I didn't know. Things that I think you're going to find really interesting and hopefully really useful for yourself. So again, I'll just say thank you to the earliest sponsors of this podcast, my friends at the Brigantine Restaurants. Make sure you go in to any of the Brigantines or the Miguels and make sure you say something like, yo, I'm, I'm a Scott Kaplan podcast listener and I know you're a sponsor and I'm, I'm here to support. So, you know, rock on, brother, something like that. Maybe we should do some kind of like a giveaway with those guys. Also want to thank Callaway Golf. And there's another group of guys that I should be doing giveaways with, shouldn't I? Somebody's got to help me with this, but I'm in a room right now talking to myself. And, um, and I'll, I'll talk to Allison about it because she'll hear this and she'll go, hey, I can do that. We should start doing some giveaways with Callaway. I don't know how we're going to give away things with Gorilla Movers, but they are the moving company of the Scott Kaplan Solo Podcast. So thanks to all of our sponsors. Here's a, a conversation in my home with a friend, uh, a business associate, a guy who I've done, who, who helped me, I should say, really, in the early days of getting sided up. Um, certainly we're not as far as we want to be right now, but 
he helped me early on, and, and he's written two books, and he's an interesting guy, and he's gone through some crazy highs and lows. If you're in San Diego, a lot of this stuff happens locally in Southern California, especially the Anthony Robbins and Tony Robbins stuff. Um, if you're outside in the, in the world outside of Southern California, again, he localizes. Scott does a lot of this. So here is my friend, and, and I really find such an interesting person. Here's my chat with Scott Duffy. Okay, and I just turned the recorder on. Nice. Scott Duffy, my man. I haven't seen you in a long time. <laughs> Dude, I just we just did something that I never do. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. We talked before we turned the mics on. That yeah, I understand. Yeah. I don't like to do that. Because I always like everything to be really raw. Yeah. And unedited. And um, we just had a very, very deep conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm going to ask you on, you know, while be, while recording, yeah. is any of that fair game or is all of that off limits that we just talked about? I would say um, because it's still in process, mm -hmm. the um, the divorce part, let's keep out. But I am 100%. I love talking about um, things going sideways. I am totally transparent about um, financial shit, business shit, and anything like that. In fact, I have a great story about selling pee we can talk about. About what? <clears throat> about selling pee. Selling pee? Selling pee. When you just said that, I'm like, what did he say? Did you say selling pee? Like selling urine? Like selling urine. Yeah, so so look, can I share? Please. So so I had you know you and I had the opportunity. We got to, we've known each other forever, and we first got to know each other working at Sportsline, right? Which became CBS Sportsline, CBSSports.com, and um and I had quite a run in the technology space, early stage at Sportsline, what became NBC Internet, with Ross launching FoxSports.com. My last big tech company was like Expedia for private jets, and. I sold it to, to Virgin. I ran it for Richard Branson for a couple years. And I, you know, I was, you know, I thought, man, things were awesome. And when I signed the deal and did that deal with Virgin, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, this is Richard Branson. Like, this is my hero entrepreneur. And I get to work alongside him. This is the Virgin brand, the private jet market. We are a private jet company. Couldn't be hotter. It was March of 2008. We repositioned as a Virgin brand. And we all know what happened to the economy. And so I went from a guy that had made millions of dollars and had really killed it for a time there to a guy that lost everything in less than nine months and went like $400,000 in debt. It was crazy. When you say you made millions, yeah. Um, do you mean that, by the way, already this podcast has gone in a different direction than what I might have expected. <laughs> and we're, we're, we're like two minutes in. Are you saying that that you had um, millions of dollars in stock, or are you saying that you had millions in, in cash in yeah. the bank, and you had you had a feeling of financial security? Is that what I you're did. saying? Yeah, I did, I did, and you know, I think I was like a lot of people that you know went into that 2008 market. Well, it happens in all different you know times, right? But I went into the that period of time, and I was feeling amazing, and I was feeling jazzed, and I've got this great partner, I've got this great business, and the economy's jamming, and then everything changes in a heartbeat. And you know, the question that I sometimes have for people is this. It's like, how many times have you been going down a road in your life and maybe doing everything, maybe having the time of your life, and then something came out of nowhere and like, bam, 
it knocked you off course. It could have been the economy. It could have been your health. It could have been something that happened in a relationship. And everything that you did up to that point, maybe in business, every you know business plan that you wrote, every email that you wrote, every call that you made, you really had to throw that out and you had to start over. And that's kind of what happened to me. And when, when things went sideways in my life at that time, I did what I think every good entrepreneur would do. I curled up in the fetal position <laughs> and, and I hid in the corner and I did it for like, I did it for like six, seven months. And then one day I got a call and the call was from a friend of mine. And he said this, he goes, he goes, Scott, he goes, I hear you're a free agent. He said, I hear that you're out in the market and you're looking for something. He goes, you're hired. He said, you're going to run my company. And I go, that's awesome. I said, what is it? And he said, what does it matter? You're not doing anything. So here's what I did. He goes, I want you to meet me for lunch today. And I did. I got in the car. I drove out to Pasadena. I'm high-fiving with my wife. I'm, this is it. We're going to turn it around. So he says to me, so I said to him, I said, what is it at lunch you want me to run? And he said, you know what? Since we talked this morning, I decided you're not going to run my business. I want you to be a salesman. I go, well, maybe I have a little bit more to offer. I said, but you know, okay, what do you want me to sell? He said, I just bought a lab and our lab specializes in studying urine. And he said, what we do is we go to doctor's offices, we take the urine from their patients, we run a report, we give it back to the doctor, and then they tell their patient. He said, here's my vision for you. My vision for you is that over the next year, you're gonna go to every doctor's office in Southern California, and you're gonna win their urine. You're gonna win their pee business. Oh my God. He said, in one year, my vision for you is you are gonna be the king of pee. That was it. That was my first job offer after running the business for Virgin and Richard Branson. So, okay. So, <laughs> so Scott, let, let's start off with this. You, yeah. you mentioned Richard Branson. Yeah. I think that most people listening would have a perception. Yes. That if you were already a successful enough business person, mm-hmm. you mentioned you and I go back to the mid 90s. Yeah. Um, and, and working at CBS sports line. And I can remember vividly, by the way, the, um, in San Francisco at the Olympic club, the PGA tour championship, Mm. um, was being played there. And it was, you know, like the last major of the year kind of thing. And, um, maybe, maybe I'm getting it wrong. Maybe it was the U S open. Either way, it was a major golf championship, a major golf championship. And, and you were the San Francisco office guy. And I was coming with the content people from South Florida. And this was sort of our first real personal interaction. Um, and so, yes, we go back a long way. And, and as you say it, you know, from CBS sports line, working for the Rupert Murdoch family and Fox yeah. and their Fox interactive. And you mentioned the name Ross for people that were you know trying to keep score. Ross Levinson is a common bond between us. And mm-hmm. Ross is a different story for a different day. Um, but working your way up in these tech companies, how did you find yourself working in private aviation to do a deal with Richard Branson? Mm. And then if you're in business and working with Richard Branson in some way, you have some relationship, you're taking selfies with him somewhere. Most people think now you're on the road to huge success. Yeah. So how did you get there? And, and how did, how did it not turn into I'm Richard Branson, right side man, you know, right hand guy. And, and I'm, I'm stratospheric at this point. How did that not happen? Well, I think the thing about life is this, 
as it relates to success, we all have highs and lows. We all have ups and downs. We all do. The people I think that you and I know, whether they're championship athletes or they're championship business people, you know, they've all been through it. And usually the people that we know that are the most successful have also had the lowest dips. And but but here's here's what's amazing about those people is this is that it doesn't matter what we do in life or what happens to us in life. It's how we process it. And the way I think of it is this. I think our brains are like Google. And I think whatever question we put into Google, we get an answer, right? And, and so it, it's as simple as this. When things aren't working out for you, right, um, what, what a lot of people do is they start asking questions. Because whatever happens, we ask ourselves one of two things. What does this mean and what should I do? And, um, and then we start to run this, this loop inside of our head. And so if things don't work out for you one day in your business, you might start asking yourself things like, you know, why does this always happen to me? You know, why, why is, why is it not working out for me? Why can't, why do I, you know, why do I suck? And here's the thing. If you ask yourself, if you typed into Google a question, like, why do I suck? Here's what happens in one second you get 6.4 million reasons that you suck. I've typed it, I've been curious. Your brain works the exact same way. And so the questions that you ask yourself determine what you focus on. What you focus on determines how you feel. How you feel determines how you behave. How you behave determines the results that you get. And so we all have highs and lows, we all have ups and downs, but the people who are the most successful have learned how to take whatever happens and ask a better question how to repackage it in a way that helps to move them forward. And so, you know, what I, I'd say is this, what, you know, I had to do at that time in my life was learn how to ask better questions, more empowering questions, which in the end ultimately helped to drive me forward. And if you talk to a guy like Richard Branson, boy, has that guy been through it, right? But again, he's put himself, put himself around the right people and he asks himself the right questions. But I don't understand. Like mm -hmm. you're laying in the fetal position and you're depressed. It sounds like because yeah. you had made a bunch of money and lost a bunch of money. You yeah. went from being cash flow positive by a few million dollars mm -hmm. and feeling confident and, and having security, something everybody strives for. I think, I mean, I, I, I don't know anybody who's not striving for, well, let me rephrase that. I know people who have a lot of money yeah. who still work really hard at making money. My best friend from high school, my best friend since we're little kids, mm. and, and I only have one, you know, I only have one relationship like this in my life, is still so consumed by being in the game. Yeah, He's got a house in Beverly Hills. He's got one in Idaho. He's got one in the desert. He's got one in Cabo. And dude, I'm not talking about like little spaces that he has like, hey, I got a little house. I mean, mansions everywhere struck it ginormous huge mm -hmm. right by the way all within probably the last 10 years or so but instead of taking the money off the table and retiring yeah. or just living and traveling whatever he wants to do he could do a million other things he's addicted to the game mm -hmm. continuing to want to make money yeah you know yeah and so i'm not even really sure why that came into this richard branson thing but mm -hmm. but I guess what I'm saying is, is that you had financial security or a feeling of financial security. Sure. You, it turned and it became a feeling of heaviness and debt mm -hmm. and you're laying in the fetal position. Yeah. And now you're going to become the king of P. Yeah. 
what were you doing for those six or seven months that you're laying there in the fetal position, well, well, dude? Well, I'll tell you. So when I was laying in the fetal, fetal position, um, what I was doing was um, being pissed at everybody and feeling sorry for myself and and wondering, what am I going to do next? You know, it's really interesting because it brings up a couple things. You know, one is this. Um, when I began the process of really turning myself back around, you know, and, and putting myself back in, in the right place, um, what held me back was um, two things. One was pointing the finger at everyone and everything else. It's the economy. It's the this. It's the that. It's that they don't get it anymore. It's, it's whatever. I had so many different excuses. Um, I, I worked on starting um, new businesses after that. And, and, and I just couldn't, I couldn't seem to get things going. And, you know, and maybe, maybe you've been there yourself, you know, and, and, and so what, what it took for businesses? me, what it took, what it took for me was this. Okay. I want to hear this. What it took for me was this, is I had amazing business coaches. I mean, come on, right. You know, the people that we hang out with, I didn't meet, and they all said to me, I don't, you're doing all the right things in business until one person came to me, our friend, Dave Meltzer. And he said, you know what? Forget the business. What we got to focus on is your head. And he said, I want you to do four things. And they changed my life. The first thing was this. He said, I want you to take accountability. Be accountable for everything that happened. That was number one. Number two, he said, forgive yourself for everything that happened. And for me, that was probably the hardest part. I can understand that. Number three, he said, I want you to find the lesson, every lesson that you can in that period. And number four, he said, I want you to be grateful for it. And he said, don't just be, don't just say thank you. Don't just say I'm grateful. He said, what I want you to do is he said, I really want you and every cell of your body to feel, let that emotion run through you and feel truly grateful for what happened. When that happened, that's when the shift took place. When the shift took place, those questions running through my head started to change. And instead of, you know, why does this shit happen to me? The questions became how can I use this experience to not only help myself, but empower millions of people to empower millions of people to live their dreams through entrepreneurship? The questions, how can I do that and have an amazing time in the process? Like, and everything shifted. Okay, but hold on. I, yeah. I, I need to interrupt for this reason because anybody who's, who's made it to 13 or 14 minutes into this conversation by now, um, and, and, and it's so interesting how people take in podcasts, you know, just the other night I was driving back from Riverside back to San Diego and I had an hour plus drive and I listened to a podcast of, of two people, one person I'm close with and another who I know is a periphery person, but I loved just listening to the softness of the conversation mm -hmm. and in the, the, the different directions that things go. So I have to just interrupt for this reason. Yeah. Anybody who, who's made it this far is hearing you and they're going, wow, this guy doesn't sound like he's talking about being down and out, but he also sounds very inspirational and having been inspired. Yeah. So you've gone from all these different roles in the tech world. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Richard Branson. Mm -hmm. I haven't even talked about, we'll get there. And I, I guess maybe now would be a good time to bring Anthony Robbins into this conversation Yeah. because you're talking about entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and success, mm -hmm. building businesses, yeah. et cetera. But, you're also telling me about all these failures yeah. and about laying in the fetal position and losing all your money. And so I just wonder as you've now worked into this world of executive coaching, and I want to hear more about that as well. Sure. You mentioned Dave Meltzer, who's been on this podcast before, who, um, 
Some people think Dave Meltzer is an incredible, inspirational business coach. His Mm -hmm. social media following is spectacular, and what he produces is incredible. And I know other people that grew up with him that go, dude, I know this guy since he's a kid. This bullshit he's (laughs) selling now is a bunch of crap. And and, and I say to people who say that to me, I go, Dave Meltzer is my friend. And if his message is reaching people, whoever those people are, and they're receiving something from him, then good for him that he's created a business of helping people. For sure. Good for him. So it's important for everybody who's listening to say, I don't understand this guy, Scott Duffy. He's talking about laying in the fetal position and and losing all of his money, but he sounds like an inspirational business coach. Sure. So, well, maybe I should share a little bit about my background. Please. I think that, that would help. And it's kind of interesting because we kind of went right into it without, without well, like I said, I usually it. like to start these yeah. things right in mid flow, but, but now if I don't back up and tell people what your deal is, they're not going to understand yeah. because, because what's happened to me in, in this podcast, I had no idea what direction it was going to take. Yeah. I honestly started the podcast at the beginning of the year thinking this was going to be a big promotional tool for my startup sided that, you know, intimately yeah. what's happened is unbeknownst to me. It has turned into a an inspirational storytelling session. And I don't even know, I think to myself, if I were writing a book and I were interviewing a million different people about success and how they got to where they are, I'd be recording all these interviews. Well, all I'm doing is I'm recording these interviews now and putting them out as podcasts. And now I think I'm at the end of the year. Every person's going to have a chapter in a book. Yours, I've already named the chapter, The King of Peace. <laughs> But, you know, here's the thing. Can you imagine how hard it was for me to tell that story? So, you know, I'm a guy that that um, I went to school. I grew up in Southern, in Southern California, Los Angeles. I went to school at the University of San Diego. I started my first company as a freshman in college. I had 18 employees my, the, my freshman summer, you know. Uh, we were painting houses here in, in San Diego. Um, I played rugby. I was in a fraternity. I loved the whole college thing. You know, um, until everything changed for me in a heartbeat. Because um, when I when I went to USD, we had this tradition. After midterm exams in the fall and in the spring, everyone would get in their cars and we cruise nine hours south to San Felipe. And we'd party for like two or three days. I mean, back then in college, it was a blast. And in my junior year, uh, my third year of college, I, I just happened to get done with my exams really early and decided I wanted to go down and set up, right? So I'm cruising down. We crossed to Calexico. And, you know, for, for any of you listeners who've been to uh, down to Baja, you understand what, I, what I'm talking about. Um, you know, we're almost 100 miles south of the border, south of Calexico, and we're on a federal highway. And there's one lane in each direction. And there's desert as far as you can see. That's it. And I don't know why, but there's there's some parts of this road that rise, and maybe it's for flooding, and then there's a drop on each side, just desert. Well, we're cruising along. We're going about 90 miles an hour, and a truck had gone off the side of the road. And the guy tried to gun it back on, and he didn't see us, and we didn't see him. And we hit this guy square on, going like 90 miles an hour. Like, it was the worst day of my life. And um, even though I thought that day was bad, getting better was actually tougher. So I had two brain hemorrhages. I was the lucky guy in the car. Uh, Two brain hemorrhages I had to drop out of college. Um, I couldn't really do anything. I couldn't read. I couldn't write. I couldn't watch TV. Everything made me sick because of my head injuries. And so what I started to do is um, I basically just laid in bed every day until one day my roommate, a guy named Mike, walks in and he gives me a motivational book on tape. 
And he says, my dad thinks you should listen to this. And it was a motivational book on tape by a guy named Dennis Waitley, the psychology of, and, and so. But wait, wait you're, yeah. are, aren't you recovering? From- I am, but all I did was just lay there all the time. And so, and I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't, because everything made me sick. What happened to the other guys in the car? Well, one person, I'd rather not kind of not talk about what, what happened to them. And it's not because I'm trying to hide anything just for out of respect for their whole situation. But, um, but it was, it was tough. It was a tough situation. Um, it was written about all down here in San Diego anyway. So, um, so, uh, I, um, I started listening when I was just in bed to these how motivational get, books how, on tape. You're just, you're, you're passing a lot of stuff. What, yeah. how did you get back? I mean, when, when you get hurt in a car accident like that in Mexico, it's not yeah. as simple as an ambulance showing yeah. up, especially if you're in the middle of the desert. How long did it take till authorities got there? Um, you know, how long till you were actually back in the States? I mean, you're, you're kind of yeah. giving me, passing on some details. I mean, even to this day, it's hard for me to talk about. So we, um, so we were about By the way, this 90. is the shit I love in these interviews because yeah. I don't know anything. You're t- you, you've never told me this before. No, I'm, I'm about 90 miles south of the border, 90, 100 miles south of Calexico. We get in this accident, cars totally messed my arm through the door, my head through the windshield. Um, and a couple from Santee here in San Diego was in their RV and they were going to the exact same campsite. We were Rubens down in San Felipe and they put us in their, um, in their, their RV and they took us to a a clinic in Calexico and the guys that we hit stole everything out of our car. And, um, and, uh, when we were at the clinic in Calexico, um, one of the girls who was in the car, I was in the passenger seat, the front passenger seat, um, girl behind me, she said that, um, she wanted us to be treated in America. And so the fe- the people at the clinic called the Federales and the Federales, somehow the American consulate got involved and they took us to the border and there were two amb- there were ambulances waiting for us. They tried to get us in Calexico, um, a helicopter to Scripps and La Jolla because of our head injuries. And um, there wasn't anything that was available or they could do. So they had to drive us from that border town all the way to Scripps and La Jolla. And it took about nine hours from the time of the accident, I'm told, till the time we got to the hospital. And I remember, um, I remember walking into, we were brought in through, through the emergency room and the, one of the girls who was in the accident, her family had not only been contacted, um, but had gotten on a plane and flown down from San Francisco and they were there before us waiting. Wow. Where yeah. was your family? In Los Angeles. They know what was going on? Um, they, what I remember is I remember waking up and my mom was there. Because then it just gets us back to you're at the University of San Diego and you're stuck, you, TV, nothing's working, you, you can't even go to class, you're all messed up. Yeah. Um, but classes and school still going on? So yeah, classes and school still going on. Um, I stopped going to school. Oh, you uh, dropped out? Yeah, so I dropped out of school because mm-hmm. I couldn't do anything and... And that's when, like I said, I, I was just, you know, I was just laying around all the time. And, and my friend Mike came in and he said, my dad thinks you should listen to this. Gave me a motivational book on tape and it changed my life. And what was this motivational book? It was by a guy named Dennis Waitley, mm-hmm. who um, surprisingly, because I've been around this industry my whole life, I got a chance 
to meet a couple years ago and it was amazing to be able to share what a role he played. But I started listening to him and then I just started listening to other people. So back at that time it was What time it, is this? This is early nineties maybe? Oh no, this is the eighties. Oh. I mean I'm this is like nineteen eighty nine. Okay, got I think it. I was nineteen ish when uh-huh. this happened. Um so it was like uh Dennis Waitley, uh Zig Ziglar, uh 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 Les Brown, Brian Tracy, and a guy and a guy named Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. And um, I decided, you know, I, I'm not even sure, honestly, how much of this stuff I actually listen because some days my head hurts so much. But what happened was I just like I ended up just like sucking it all up and absorbing it. And as I got better, what I decided I wanted to do was go back to school and then go to work as an intern for one of the people that I felt inspired me. And San Diego is the Silicon Valley for speakers. They're all here. At least they were back in the day. So I'm like, this is going to be you. So I applied as a, to work as an intern for Tony Robbins. And instead of an internship, he offered me this awesome job. So I was okay. 20. Okay, he was right. 30 years old. This is so important, again, just because as we began, yeah. it was, you know, you kind of, people can hear. I know I can hear. Yeah. This doesn't sound like just some normal dude. I mean, this sounds like a guy who's a professional speaker yeah. and, and speaking specifically about, you know, life business, entrepreneurship, et cetera. So as a young guy, after this car accident, yeah. you get inspired by the the early business coaches of the world. Yeah, Tony Robbins is right here in San Diego. You apply for an internship. He hires you to do what? So I represented him in the US and Canada. And I would be, I worked on an advanced team. And we would go into a city six weeks to three months before he would. And we would go sell tickets to his events or try and convince companies to bring him in. Um, but this is so long ago that we used to bring a 13 inch TV with a VH with a little VCR thing in it. And we used to play it before our small meetings. And it was the first five minutes of his infomercial because nobody knew who he was. Mm -hmm. It was just such an interesting time, you know? Um, which by the way, I was getting Tony Robbins because this is 1989. I'm 19 years old also. And by that time, 89, 90, 91, but even going back into the, to the later part of the nineties, I, I always saw his infomercials. Sure. I can remember asking people when I was going to college in Pittsburgh, I remember one guy I knew had, had, um, bought the tapes off of an infomercial and had listened to the audio cassettes. And I remember him just telling me, Tony Robbins' whole thing is just, it's about how you position your mind, how you think about things. Some of the stuff you talked about a little bit earlier. Yeah. I always had it on my radar. I never, never did anything with it. In 1999, um, no, no, I'm sorry, 2001 rather. In 2001, I got fired by a radio station in New York. Sportsline had transferred me from Miami, Fort Lauderdale, to New York City within the CBS family. And I was only there for a year and I got fired. Mm. And um, it, it was a disaster for me. Yeah. I was young and I thought I was in position to take over for Stern and Imus and I thought I was in the right, right position. And I remember that it was the first time I went to listen to the Tony Robbins audio cassettes awesome. after, after that, that happened. And how I, can't, I couldn't quote for you something, I just could tell you that it, I had a Walkman, a Sony Walkman and audio cassettes and big old earphones and I was listening to Tony Robbins and he just picked me up. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's bullshit or not. I just know it worked for me. Sure, sure. Well, for me, it, it sure did. And it was Tony and it was lots of other guys at that time that, that inspired me. And and so, I, in fact, I remember um, I was probably 21 years old and I was in Seattle. We were at, we were at one of his events and um, I was sitting next to him at lunch and I said, you know, Tony, you 
probably don't even remember how I got here. Or you may not even know the whole story, but like I, I was having the time of my life. I got in this crash. It completely threw me off course. Um, but I picked up this crazy habit and it was listening to motivational books on tape. And that brought me to you. And being around you, I've been around your circle and your community and all of these amazing people. And what's happened is it's helped to really shape, reset my, my thinking, reshape my sense of what's possible. And I went on, he put up his hand <laughs> and you don't forget that because he's got these really big hands. He's a big dude. Tony he's Robbins, a big right? dude. I've never met him and I, I, I really would like to meet him. He's his like office, six, seven, his office is, is upstairs from the radio station. That's I've right. never met the guy. I've never seen him. Yeah. So he puts up his hand. He goes, he goes, Scott, he said, I always want you to remember this in life and in business. Now, and think about this. So he's 10 years older. So he was probably 31. I was 21. Think about how young he said in life and business. I always want you to remember this. We have good days and bad days but we don't know which is which until sometime way down the line mm -hmm. because we don't know what we'll make of the experience. You know, and from how training... Hell, how did he know that at 31 years old, Scott? How did Anthony Robbins create an infomercial telling me this story that he was, he was in his bathtub cleaning his dishes, he was completely broke, he was overweight. I mean, he told this story and he was young yeah. and believable. How the fuck did he know all this shit at 31 years old? Well, I'll tell you what, think about the athletes that we know at 31 years old. And you look at them and you're like, how in the hell do they do that? How is that possible? It's because they put all their focus in that one particular area. Right, but, but the difference is, but, but hold on, but the okay. difference is, is that I sat right here in my home with Landon Donovan, who's become a bit of a friend, mm. um, the greatest U.S. soccer player, debatable, whatever. And the one thing he talked about in this podcast was he hated going to public appearances when he was a pro player mm. because it took him away from what his focus was, which was being the best player in the world. He wanted to wake up in the morning and eat the right food, do the right amount of training, go above and beyond, et cetera, et cetera. And having to go to an appearance, go to a bar, sign autographs, take pictures, it was a distraction from what he wanted, which was to be the very best. Mm. The difference, though, is is that even though that's what was driving him, you know, or drives other championship caliber athletes, they're not, I don't believe, conscious enough or communicative enough, in Landon's case he probably is, to at 31 years old do what Tony Robbins did. How did he do that? Well, a different skill set. And it was a, he focused in a different area. You know, his his what what his gift wasn't necessarily being an athlete, um, despite his size. Like his his skill set was was I think integration. I think what he was really great it was was he was you know he's all about learning and then taking what he learned and really integrating it and really practicing it. And he had a a way of being able to take things that happened in his life, be really upfront about them, and turn that stuff into lessons that all of us. All of us could learn from. I mean, here's the thing. I got to tell you, 10 years ago, I can't imagine me leading off a show talking about somebody hiring me to be the king of P or wanting to, right? And how pissed that made me. But what I've learned in my life is this. What I've learned is because I've been really successful at, at some of the stuff that I've done. And I've done deals with the biggest brands and the biggest people. And how many people do you know that have worked for Tony Robbins and Richard Branson, right? I've been really fortunate in that way. But what I've learned is, it doesn't matter who you are, being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely job. 
Sometimes there's nobody to talk to. You can't talk to your employees. You can't tell them everything. You can't tell your investors everything in real time. You can't, you can't bring it all home. Who do you talk to? And what tends to happen with entrepreneurs is, especially when it's tough, they feel like they're all alone. They feel like they're the only people that ever experience this stuff. What I've learned is by being really fucking honest about what, I'm sorry, I don't know if I can say it. Well, it's being really honest about what's happened to me or gone on with me, what it does is it opens things up. It opens up the dialogue with other people. Does it make anybody question you and say, okay, Duffy, Yeah. so there's Tony Robbins, and he's been at it for 20 plus years, mm -hmm. and because of the success that he's had, he's made a shit ton of money, which he's then been able to invest with a lot of the relationships that he's created, and he's become a big star entrepreneur. So check for Tony Robbins. Yeah. You know, you look at, we he's also lost a lot of money. Okay. Well, that's right? just it. Right. So that's and, just yeah. it is, is that again, there's a perception and this is what I wanted to ask you about your profession. Is there an expectation that if somebody hires you, you have to go walking through the door and say, I just sold my company for $500 million. Therefore I know what I'm doing. You should shut up and listen to me versus somebody who walks in and says, listen, truth is, um, I've been really successful at some stuff. Boy, I've really had a shit ton of downs, man. It's been rough at times too. What I can bring to the table here today is not follow my roadmap because it's guaranteed success. It's balance or I, I'm trying to figure out like do people yeah. question your credibility because you didn't sell a company for $500 million when you come in to, to be an executive coach? You know, because um, you're in so a competitive space, I, it would seem. You know, I, I am. And, you know, one of the things that I find in this particular space is that you have a lot of people that are teaching how to do things but they haven't actually done it themselves. They haven't, everything that I'm teaching, everything I'm talking about is based on my personal experience or the experience that I have with other people that I'm interviewing for entrepreneur or, or things like that. And so I had to make a choice. The choice I could make was I can go out there and I can put on a show or I can go out there and I can just be me and just share it all and let the chips fall where they may. And what I've learned at this point in my life is that I connect with more people, I believe I connect with more people when I'm just honest, you know? And let me tell you where the King of Peace story came from, because I think it's important. About a month ago, um, around the launch of my last book, Breakthrough, I was doing an interview, it was a podcast. And we the, the way the person who interviewed me started, he said, let's talk about Tony Robbins. Then let, and he walked through the chronology, like Sportsline, NBC, Fox, Virgin. And when he closed the show, he said, you know, gosh, he said, you know, I just want to repeat that again. And it all, when you put all that together, it sounds so easy. And there was something inside my head that was like, you know what? It's never that easy. It sounds so neat and tidy. And I said, can we redo the end of the show? And can I tell a story? It was the first time I ever told that story. And I didn't know where it was going to land. And I did not. And when we got off and we were done, he said to me, he said, thank you so much for telling that story. Cause I feel like I'm in that position right now, but I'd never want anybody to know. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's why I do it. So you just mentioned, um, cause now I want to, now and, that I, and, 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 and I'll, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. It's not comfortable for me right now. It's really not comfortable for me to be, you know, to just open it all up. But I think that I can help more people if I can help us all open a dialogue, even if it's one-on-one -on -one with somebody that I'm working with, that is just comes from a place of being honest. 
that's that's where I'm at right now. You, you know what this this, uh, and what makes me think about all of this is is again I I have, I have always loved this stuff. Yeah. I've I've always um I love inspiration, whether it's me being inspired by someone, or if. I'm able to inspire someone. I, I just love that. I always have. And I mentioned to you, Tony Robbins, only because I know you worked for him. Mm-hmm. And and I know that, that, again, there was an impact he had on my life. Yeah. And I've never met the guy. I've never even walked upstairs to just say, hi, this is Tony's office. Can I? Boy, he inspired me at one point in my life. I'd love to meet him. Is he mm-hmm. around in town? I've driven by the castle up in <laughs> Del Mar where he used to have on his infomercial. I mean, I yeah. sound a little, little weird here, but um, I, I guess I, I've always thought that business coaches and i think people perceive business coaches as being someone who has to have a big score to be able to coach Mm -hmm. and what i always find interesting about that is is that if i translate it to the world of sports which is kind of the world that i've lived in Mm -hmm. i know plenty of guys who are really really bad players who became really great coaches Mm -hmm. they were actually better at coaching than they were at playing Mm -hmm. I know some guys that have become NFL coaches, head coaches, who never played football. I don't mean like they didn't play in the NFL, they didn't play in college, maybe they played in some high school stuff, but through a series of moves in their lives, I'll give you an example, Brian Billick as an Mm -hmm. example, Super Bowl winning coach with the the Baltimore Ravens, didn't play football. Mm -hmm. He was a a public relations guy in the organization that just sort of weaved his way up, fucking head coach, Mm -hmm. winning the Super Bowl. Yeah. Some people are better coaches than they are at performers, performing the act. Are you a better entrepreneur or are you a better coach to entrepreneurs? I am a community builder. And I would say um, what I'm best at is bringing people together that are exceptional at what they do and getting out of them what it is, like how they do what they do, why they do what they do. And then helping the group kind of take those lessons and and leverage those into their businesses. So that's what I do with Entrepreneur, right? Whether it's when you through, say Entrepreneur, uh, so Entrepreneur Magazine. Okay. Um, so I, I have a I work with Entrepreneur Media. So whether it's it's sharing through a video series that we launch in October. So we launch later this month, or it is uh, through my book Breakthrough, or it or it's uh, through the radio that I do on the weekends with with Entrepreneur Radio. Um, all these different forms. You know, I am constantly out there doing everything I can to learn what the top entrepreneurs and innovators are doing today in order to build great things. And, and, and you know, I look at it this way. Um, when, I, when I had my down, right, after the market crashed, one of the things I did, probably the biggest mistake I made was I stopped learning, right? And, and I think that this happens to a lot of us is we get stuck in a trap where we do something really well and we get success as a result of taking a certain kind of set of actions. And then when things don't go right, what we tend to do is double down on that thing, on what we did, like our superhero power. So we go back and we do more and harder, more and harder, more and harder, instead of learning and adapting. So we're in 2018, 100 years ago, 1918, the average man in the U.S. lived to be, lived to be 49 years old. So think about that. The average man... 100 years ago, 49 years old, I'm 48, that freaks me out. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. Um, you, 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 so, uh, sorry, sorry. So, 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 so for, the average guy lived 49 years old in, 100 years ago. 100 years ago. Maybe being great at one thing is all you had to do. 
right? You didn't live very long, right? So you focus on that one thing, that's it. But today, you know, back then also the pace of change was so damn slow. But today, change doesn't happen linearly, it happens exponentially, right? And so what I'm here to tell you is that, you know, whatever that you did five years ago, that thing that was like your superhero power five years ago that made you who you were, that thing five years ago is your baggage today. And that's what the top entrepreneurs know. And so what I'm constantly on a, on, a, on a mission to do is find people out there that are killing it today, find out what they're doing it, and help share it with other people. And you do that through media platforms, through that's Entrepreneur Media, right. which is Entrepreneur Magazine. Sure. Apparently they have, because you'll have to excuse me for not knowing some of yeah. this stuff, because um, a lot of times I'll see you on Facebook or on Instagram mm -hmm. or something and you're, you know, I'm at an event. It looks like a red carpet kind of a thing. And uh, it's with Entrepreneur Media and there's lots of interesting business folks and you're, you're kind of there as sort of the host, uh, you know, and, and, and so... I don't really, and I, I wonder, this is the kind of yeah. the venue, sometimes, you know, we, I have, we have relationships and you just sort of know the, 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 the 30,000 foot view. I, this is where we can get a little bit more granular, right? Sure. So, so cool word, by the way, granular, this is something <laughs> I've learned recently. Um, so there is this entrepreneur media company and sure. that's who you're working for. And that's where all of this stuff from your books and your, your rate, all of that flows through, through entrepreneurs. I right? do. I do not everything. I do a lot of things with them. Yes. Okay. So they have, they have a great platform, you know, they, they've got, whether it's, um, the ability to push out video to a large audience on their website or through their social media. It's their radio network that's in 60 markets across the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, How about your book? Like when you, you just Okay, so, so your yeah. first book, let me just talk about this for a second. Sure. Your, your first book, Launch, mm -hmm. which was How to Launch a Business in 90 Days. Yeah, I found that book to be very inspiring. Mm. What I loved about it was the thought, and this is what I took from it, that if you just focus your energy you can get something done quickly. Yes. That's what I took from your first book. Mm -hmm. When was that written? That was written four years ago. Okay. Yeah. I'm just curious, what was going on in your life back then that you were writing this book to help entrepreneurs launch their business? Well, it, it was a time where, you know, a lot of, you know, the, the, the crash that happened in 2008, there were a lot of people that for the first time were, were, um, were becoming entrepreneurs. So they may have worked with big companies that had downsized. They may have had trouble reintegrating into the workforce. So we, we had a lot of people that for the first time had two business cards, right? It was their hustle and their side hustle. And so I had people because, you know, my core competency, I think up to that period, up to that time, had been going into very early stage environments in the technology space and helping people to take their ideas to market. And once they got to market, how do we scale those things further, faster, and with a lot less capital than, you know, most people would think that they needed. And so what I decided to do is really codify that. And that's what, what the book was. Okay. So then that's launch. Yeah. That's four years ago. And between then and now, yeah. between launch and your new book, mm -hmm. Breakthrough, what, what has gone on? Because I feel like when you and I got back together, which was yeah. probably a year and a half to two years ago, mm -hmm. um, I know that some of the stuff we talked about at the very beginning of this, I said, <laughs> hey, can we talk about that? And you know, let's not talk about our divorces together. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, we'll, it'll turn into a divorce podcast. Yeah. But what's been going on in the last four years in between the two books that have you go from launch, hey, do this quicker because everybody's got multiple things going on, to now breakthrough. What is that about? Well, the idea behind breakthrough was um, people would read launch and they'd say, okay, I got my idea to market. Now what, I, now what do I do? 
And so what I decided to do was, um, and it was really through entrepreneur, entrepreneur approached me and they said, what would you think about taking this idea of launching and helping someone get an idea to market? And then once it's there, let's write a second half of the book. And the second half of the book is how do you grow it, scale it, and position it to sell? I guess I better read this book. <laughs> I haven't read it yet. And, and so that's what they did. And, and you know, I, when, when I mentioned to you earlier, you know, it's this thing is completely non-academic. It's based on my experience and, and my relationships and my interviews with people, um, you know, for this book. So whether it's me going out and talking to Gary Vee or a Damon John or a Sarah Blakely or you know, by the uh, way, Nicole. of the th- of the three names you just mentioned, yeah, I don't know any of them except Gary V. Okay, who I'm very very new to. Yeah, I'm re- I love what he puts out on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I see how he's killing it on a YouTube channel. I actually wonder how he's you know because it seems like he's made a shitload of money and now he's just having a whole lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And I really am enjoying Gary V. Um, again, I don't I don't know him. I haven't read him. I just happen to see his links, and I somebody mentioned him to me, and and I, since then I've been watching him, and he's he's quite a fascinating character. This guy. It, it's so funny because if I talk to if I talk to um, a college, like I'll go talk to USC down here in LA. So I'll go talk to their their uh, their their business kids and stuff. And um, if I mention Richard Branson, people look at me cross eyed. But if I mention Elon Musk, they get it. If I mention Tony Robbins, some of them look at me cross-eyed. When I mention Gary Vee, they all look at me, you know, bright, bright-eyed. And and you know, I think Gary's done a, done an amazing job. And you know, I was. Um, but what was his deal? Was he trying to make it big in business and make money? And then he did, and then he's just Mark Cubaning life now, and he's having a good time. Or 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 was his? Because your story is. Look, I worked for for Tony Robbins early on. I got into all this motivational stuff as a young guy when I was going through my own personal issues. And through your own experiences and through having written books and so on and through your relationship with entrepreneur, you do all of these things now. Yeah. But a guy like Gary Vee, why does he do what he does? I mean, if you know, I don't know if you know this. Well, so I, I would put in the context of this, what I call platform maturity. And, and here's what I mean, because we've talked about Tony, we've talked about Gary, and I think that this kind of ties some things together. I think that um, timing is everything. You know, our, my friend Kevin Harrington, my friend Kevin Harrington was um, at his home. He loved watching the Discovery Channel when there were 32 channels on TV. And he first got that box, right? That little brown box. Mm-hmm. It went back and forth. And one night he got home, and he used to be a direct sales guy. He'd work at conventions and sell things on the floor, right? He got home, he turned on the Discovery Channel, and there was nothing on. So he called the next day, the company, and they said, we just don't have that much programming. So Kevin was like, well, wait, you need some? And they're like, yeah. So he came up with this idea of an infomercial. And is one of his buddies that he would go and do all these events with had this knife called the Ginsu knife. That became the first infomercial that he produced and put on the air. And so what happened was you had all these channels that needed content. And so they all were really open to taking his stuff. When Tony Robbins went on, we had just scaled from 32 to about 90 stations in the United States that all needed content. When Oprah was struggling in Chicago, everyone needed content. Michael King came along and syndicated her. When Brendan Burchard, who I love, Brendan Burchard was struggling in what he was doing, right? The market crashes in 2008. He'd been a direct marketer. He comes out with a program on how to position yourself as the expert consultant. That's basically what it was. I don't know who that is. Right place, right time. Brendan Burchard... If you take a look at the top 10 personal development programs monetized of all time, he's not only one through 10, he's one through 13. Brendan is unbelievable. Brendan has more followers than entrepreneur. 
you know, Entrepreneur Magazine. He is amazing, really heart-centered guy. You look at Gary Vee. Gary Vee, you know, his family, and I might muck this up a little bit, you get the, the idea of Gary, they had, a, they had a liquor store and they were trying to figure out how to sell more stuff. And Gary went online and he started as a really early adopter of YouTube doing a show. And on the show, he tasted wine, right? And it became popular. He built a $75 million a year wine business off of this show. But here's what happened. When everybody then came in mass online and came to social media, he was already there and had a big presence. Like those other people, he was kind of there early. And then when it hit, he had, and was platform maturity was in the right place at the right time. He is exceptional at teaching you how to build and monetize your brand online. I, I, he's fantastic. I'm, and, I, and as a guy, I in my chances with, with my time around Gary, he's been amazing. I, I am enjoying him. I've, I'm just getting to him. I love the way he talks. I love that he's a little bit younger than I am. Mm -hmm. I love how successful he's been. And I always love guys who started early. When I hear you talk about starting a business in college yeah. um, because you were, they were painting houses you know, and you had 18 guys. When I was a kid, it was cutting lawns. Yeah. It was washing cars. My cousin and I had a car wash business and we would fight all the time because he wanted to detail every car like it was his own. And I would try to explain to him, let's go. It's about numbers. Come <laughs> on, man. This car looks great. You don't need to take your toothbrush you know, and, and clean you know, underneath. Right. So, so I just always love guys who have these great stories. But, but to kind of bring it home here, sure. you know, because we could go on for hours and yeah. I know we'll do this again. It is true what you said earlier, I do believe, that entrepreneurs find themselves feeling alone mm. you know um, you have helped me a lot in my business cited mm -hmm. and and I, I think I've kind of come to this conclusion here that if I would have said a year ago that today a year later we would have a, a minimal viable product an MVP built yep we would have users who have signed up we will have a small percentage of, of active users and we'd still have cash in the bank to continue going. I think a year ago I would have looked at that and said, well, if that's the case, that's we're doing pretty good. And that's where we are. Yeah. And as, as a first time CEO in my life, I mean, mm -hmm. look, I've been running a radio show and I've, and to run a radio show, you've got a co-host and you've got a producer and you've got a, this person, you've got a promotions guy and you've got salespeople. I mean, it is running a business if you accept it that way. Mm -hmm. Most people though, who are talk radio guys, they read the paper, they watch the news, they go in, they broadcast, they go home, they do it all over again. Very few, some but very few have the entrepreneurial spirit. They like yeah. to have their jobs and they like to, to protect those jobs. It's not enough for me. Mm. It's just never been enough for me. Mm. So now here I am. I was looking. I was searching for a business. I wanted something to run, something that could be beyond radio in my future. And, and now that I'm in a year deep into being a CEO, which I did not intend to be, I remember at the beginning. Do you like this, it or do you not like it? I do like it. I like it very much. Um, it's not a power thing. I'm not like a hierarchy guy. I don't, it's not like that. I like that. Um, I understand that I'm in the industry and I'm trying to fix something within my business, within my entire industry. And I sure. like that. Solving a big problem. It yeah. makes me feel like yeah. I'm trying to do something good for an industry that's supported me and my family for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. You know, I got into this. I thought I was going to be rich and famous. I thought I was going to be Howard Stern. Well, I'm not. But I still can be incredibly successful. I can make a lot of money, I think. And I can also impact a lot of people positively. 
So that's what I'm trying to do. So I do like being a CEO in that way. Where it's hard is, really, really hard, is, okay, on one hand, I'm trying to still clean up the company. There's still a mess that has been made by the original founder, who's a great guy, Mm -hmm. but the original founder, the original company, the move to the new company, the new name, all the stuff, the people that have come and gone, it has been a fucking headache. Yeah. You know? On the other hand, as much as I'm trying to clean up the operation over here, on the other hand, I'm still trying to do the visionary work of what I want it to look like, how I want it to behave. And by the way, I now realize more than anything, you talk about learning. I'm not an expert in gamification. Mm-hmm. I'm sure shit not an expert in software development. Um, and I've, I've kind of gone as far as I think I can go. Mm-hmm. Now I need real help. You know, I need other influencers who are willing to try the platform early on to become early adopters. But I also need to be able to show them like I would expect them to show me this is why you should be using this or or what its future potential is and why you should be an early adopter. So on one hand, I'm trying to clean up the biz. Sure. On the other hand, I'm still trying to drive the, the software development. On a third hand, because, well, make it on my leg, I, I'm trying to deal with all the other stuff of how do we get there because I, I'm one person, man, mm-hmm. and I've taken on so much and now I've come to the conclusion of, dude, I don't, I can't, I I had a guy, here's here's really the best anecdote. I had a guy on this podcast several months ago. His name was Mark Bowles. He sold his company for $350 million. You mentioned five years. Five years earlier, he was sitting in his car crying his eyes out. He had to sell his house. Mm-hmm. He had to take his kids out of private school. He had all of everything he, he had was into this concept called Echo ATM. All of his Silicon Valley buddies told him this is the dumbest thing they've ever heard. He was walking into people's offices with a box, a, a cardboard box, like, this is our prototype. This is what it's going to do. <laughs> this guy had raised $80 million in his career. He had already been very successful, not as an operator, mm-hmm. but as a fundraiser. He's, he's going out. He's going under. It's, it's, it's over for him. He's crying his eyes out. Five years later, five years, because of his belief, his persistence, et cetera, he sold the company for $350 million. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really was a very impactful story um because what happened was as he was running this company he came to this conclusion i'm really good at certain shit but i'm a terrible operator Mm. and he handed the company over to a friend of his who was a great operator yeah so i feel like i'm at that point now that i raised the original money i cleaned the house the way it unfortunately had to be cleaned I'm almost there with cleaning up the the business side, the complicated side, the side that I can't go raise money until this shit is cleaned up because mm. I need to go raise more money. Yeah. So, so I'm at that point now that Mark was at with Echo ATM where he was building something, but it was kind of getting too big for him because he wasn't an operator. Well, it's I'm, great self-awareness. I'm not an operator, dude. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the most important trait of any entrepreneur is self-awareness. It's you really have to know who you are and what you're good at and then fill in the other stuff around you. Because what I'm good at is, like you talked about building teams and mm-hmm. bringing people together and getting the most out of them. I'm I'm good at at creating relationships, you maintaining are, yeah. relationships, oh, yeah. and, and knowing when is the, you know, who is good for what team that I'm trying to build. So in this case... I'd rather go out on the streets and tell my story. We started here. We did this. We raised this much money. We're at this point. Like a year ago, I was at the Super Bowl explaining to my colleagues in the radio industry, this is what we're building. And they're all looking at me like, yeah, okay, let's see it. And a year later, I'm going to go back to the Super Bowl and I'm going to say, 
break out your phone. Let me show you what this looks like. And so it's alive. It's happening. It's real. That is exciting. Mm. Um, going out on the streets and raising more money. Hey, it's tough, man. It's, it, it doesn't matter if you're raising 500 grand or 5 million or 50 million. It's hard to raise money. I got to get back out there and I got to raise more because to get to where we want to go, it's going to take a lot more money. It's going to take a lot more people. And to get people, it requires money and just a little bit of brain power. And I'm not such a big egomaniac that I have to be in control of this thing. I need people to help now. Sure. That's where I'm at. That's awesome. Well, it's great awareness. I mean, I, like I said, you know, I, I think. That Thanks for letting me vent. <laughs> <laughs> this is supposed to be about you. <laughs> I, I think there's three kinds of entrepreneurs. I think there's people that are visionary, like, like, like you, like you see the vision. You're amazing at getting people behind you, getting inspired by the vision, pulling together the right people, knowing where to go. Like you have the key relationships, like that's the visionary. Then you have the operator and the operator, they're more of a manager. They take the vision. They're not that they take the vision and they know how to put the right systems and people and processes and things like that in place and manage it day to day. And then you have what I call a sharpshooter. And that's somebody that's really exceptional at one thing. They're a great coder. They're a great salesperson. They're great at what they do. And every business needs all of those things. And what happens is when we first get a business started, we kind of have to be all of them most of the time. But it's really important for us to be honest with ourselves and basically fire ourselves from every wrong position and hire people that are the right people to put around us. Because it's not about being the CEO of the company. That's not what's gonna necessarily make you rich or this thing successful. It's about being you in this business and putting people around you that enable you to amplify what you're great at and let them do what they do well. And that's how you start to get real scale. That's how you move quickly. The problem, and you kind of alluded to it, is a lot of founders get so caught up in this idea they have to be the CEO in order to be, you know, that, um, that, that they end up losing, right? They lose the confidence of other people who know that's not the right position. They lose the confidence of their investors. They lose the deal. So, um, yeah, I, I applaud you for that. Thank you, man. Because, you know, when I go back out on the streets next time, I intend to have a, um, a roster on my team page that is much, much, much more impressive and relevant than, say, a year ago when I was trying to first get this thing started. I mean, so much has happened in a year and um and and yet so much still has to happen you know we started out as a web app thinking that it was easier for people because they already have their 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 browser on their phone well what i've learned now all this time later is especially for young people i'm asking them to go onto their phone go onto their browser type in a url sign into an account give some information then finally finally get into a debate. Uh, and by the way, it's only content that I'm providing. Yeah. It's not, it's not, there's not Rush Limbaugh and Jim Rome and Dan Patrick and Sean Hannity, all these famous radio guys. If they were doing what I'm doing, we'd immediately scale. So, but I'm not even ready for those guys quite yet. The, the platform's not even ready. I'm just now going from web app where I've made people jump through hoops and, and jump over fences to get to me. I'm just now becoming a mobile app. Mm. If I could go back and do it all over again, I might do it the opposite direction, frankly. But I was so worried that it's hard to download. It's hard to get but, into. But I, I want to jump in because what you did really well here is you conserved your cash. You see, what most people do is they put all of their money into like the first thing going to market. 
But what you did is you built a, like you said, a minimal viable product, the most simplest basic version of what could communicate to people what it is that you did. And then you got it in the hands of people and you got fast feedback and then you iterated based on what people were sharing with you, what they told you. And so that, I personally think that's the biggest win of all to this point is that, that you really were disciplined in your approach. But I still feel like we've spent too much and haven't gotten <laughs> course, yeah. enough and haven't gotten far <laughs> enough and everything else. So, you know, my only, my, I guess my, my last thought on this is I have this, this slight fear um, I guess I'd call it a fear. Look, like I, I'm, I'm one of these guys who, um, I love being in the game. If I didn't have this business sided, I wouldn't have the meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting I'm having with young, brilliant, yeah. successful, in many cases, rich already. I'm meeting with some incredible people mm. that I would never meet with if it wasn't for this business. I'm learning things on this podcast I would never have learned if it wasn't for this business. Sure. And everything I do in my mind is focused on success. There's no part of me that thinks about failure in this. None. I don't know how we're going to succeed per se. I don't know how we're going to get acquired or, or you know, raise more money. I don't know. I don't even know at this point how we're going to make money as a business. I just know where we started, where we are. And what the vision is, sure. and now I'm now I'm in that point where it's like I need help, yeah, real help. And the key is to stay focused on the vision. I I did um, I was out in Vegas and I I did uh, the the race car driving lessons, and I remember it was really cool because um, when when we first got buckled in, the way kind of my my course was, um, there's a person, there's an instructor in the passenger seat, and they sit at kind of an angle, and they put their hand up against the steering wheel. And the first person thing the person says to me is, here's what I want you to do. Keep your eyes up and on the horizon. Stay focused on your vision where you want to go. I said, okay, easy. So we start driving and five miles, 10 miles, 15, 20 miles an hour. That's really easy to do. Look down the road. But here's what happens. The faster you go, right? The more things that come at you in your business, what happens is you take your eyes off the horizon and you start to focus on literally like what's right in front of you. And as a race car driver, what happens is you look literally like right over the edge of the hood of your car. And, and, and like if you're a skier, you call that looking over the tips of your skis. And so what happens is you see every bump, every pebble, every drop of water in the road. And when you're driving, you start to make all these really fast, quick, quirky adjustments. Now, five miles an hour doesn't matter. 150 miles an hour quick takes you into the wall. So the second thing they teach you is to learn how to crash. And the way I was taught was this, when, when we're cruising along, like, um, you know, that instructor's there and they got the hand close to the steering wheel. When they see you're really comfortable, what they do is they would take the wheel and they grab it and they actually tug just a little bit. Right. But here's what happens immediately. Right. You start fear, right? You start to feel out of control. And what's the first thing that happens when most of us feel out of control? We immediately start to focus on what we fear most. And as a driver that's focusing on the wall. And so what happens is, and it'll be hard maybe for people who are listening to just, but just imagine this. What happens is as soon as you sense fear and you start to focus on that, your eyes go to the wall. And when your eyes go to the wall, it pulls your head, which pulls your shoulder, which turns your hands and takes you right towards the wall. So the instructor has only one job right after they tug, they take their hand and they put it up on your helmet. 
And as soon as you feel that pressure, what happens is your eyes snap right back to where you're supposed to go, which pulls your hands and your shoulders and takes you out of a crash. (laughs) So the key for you and for any entrepreneur or business owner is not only to keep your eyes up on the horizon, right? But no matter what life throws at you, stay focused on that vision, right? Because when you do, you can make real graceful movements versus those short, quick, quirky things that take you into a crash. Damn, dude. (laughs) That was great. That was a really great analogy and story, and you painted a beautiful picture, and that is the perfect place for us to end chapter one of our conversation. (laughs) I know we'll be back and do this again. Thank you, Scott. Great to see you, Scott. All right, thank you for hanging out the entire time. I know sometimes these things get long, um, and I was trying to be considerate to about an hour, but it went a little long. So at, after this is over, Scott Duffy's hanging out in my house. We're having a glass of water, nothing major. Um, and we're just talking and chatting. And um, he said to me, do you think that it's too much? By the way, Scott, if you're listening to all this, I hope you don't mind me telling you the story. He actually said to me, I'm telling it. He said, do you think it's too much? I said, what? He goes, you know, kind of the bearing my soul kind of, you know, honesty, truth thing. And I go, no, dude, I don't think it's too much. In fact, I think it's important to be truthful and believable. And that's why I was asking questions like, just because you don't have a $500 million exit from your company doesn't mean you can't help other people achieve success. Um, I believe that. I mean, his skill set is that he's a very, and by the way, I've seen it in person, he's a very capable guy of taking a whole group of people and getting things done when there isn't necessarily somebody who's leading the group enough to get things done. And I watched it firsthand a, a year ago when I saw a deck that was 100 pages long that was too complicated for anybody to really understand unless you were an engineer who went to MIT. And I watched Scott work with an entire group of people to make it uh, a 10-page informational, English-speaking, understandable you know, deck. And, and so I've watched him work a room and I've watched him do what he does. So the question of, you know, are you a better coach than you are a businessman or, um, you know, you know, should people be, should people believe in what you're, what you're saying, you know, as a published author of two books, even though you don't have a monster home run, even though you're not Elon Musk. And I, I, you can decide that for yourself. If you follow Scott on social media, on Instagram, which is where he does a lot of posting, a lot of videos at Scott Duffy media at Scott Duffy media. And you, you can decide for yourself, but I think it's interesting to hear about, Anthony Robbins, I, I'm Tony Robbins, I guess you call him. I, I'm such a big fan and and have been, and I like this this guy Eddie V now, who I don't know that much about yet, but I'm just sort of learning, and I only know about Eddie V because um, a friend of mine, a guy named Dan Negroni, had written a book about how to deal with millennials and how to get the most from millennials, and he mentioned this gentleman. I hope I'm I hope I'm saying his name right. So, because um, believe me, he doesn't know who I am, but I know who he is. Um, so anyway. I just thought Scott Duffy's such an interesting guy, and I hope he has uh, Gary V. Excuse me, Eddie V's a restaurant in La Jolla. Gary V. And so, you know, I hope that maybe if you're interested, you'll look into his book. Great. Um, maybe follow him on social media, see what he's all about. And if you you dig it, great. If you don't, then you don't. Because like I said, I have friends that ridicule the whole thing. Um, executive coaching or, or you know, guys kind of selling cosmic thoughts as, as, as it applies to business. So I know a lot of guys that don't really take this stuff seriously. I, I like Scott. I respect Scott a lot. And I was glad he came down and, and visited. So again, 
One more time, thanks to my people at the Brigantine, the Brigantine family of restaurants, the world's greatest fish taco, and uh, Del Mar Racing Season will be back before you know it. And I got to thank my guys at Callaway Golf. I was just up at Callaway doing a broadcast for the Mighty 1090. So, you know, if you can't get enough, man, come be with me on the radio on 1090 AM from 3 to 6 p.m., 3 to 7, really, the last hour's on tape, but 3 to 6 Monday through Friday, and uh, you can use the 1090 app. If you're listening to this podcast, that's probably a more tech-savvy thing to say to you, so use the 1090 app. And um, and I got to thank Gorilla Movers, but although I think I was making the point that I was up at Callaway and I loved it, it was great. Their, their podcast studio is amazing, and I just ordered a whole bunch of balls that look like soccer balls, but they're golf balls because I want to give those away as gifts. So, And my guys at Gorilla Movers, I, I got to thank everybody there for, uh, for always being there and helping, and, uh, and if you're looking to move, I've done it twice with these guys, unfortunately, but they make it easy, GorillaMovers.com. Until next time, um, I'm loving these interviews, and I'm, I'm starting to think, could there be a book here of lessons learned? This one, again, The King of P. I think that's what we're going to call this one with Scott Duffy. I'll talk to you next time. Interviewed by Scott on the weekly solo podcast that on every Tuesday drops. Keep it locked and make sure after you listen, share the latest volume, tune into the next edition.